Um, last week, we looked at the kind of people God loves. People like our main characters, Ruth and Naomi, two widows, Ruth the daughter-in-law, two women related by law, but joined in a friendship and called in to poverty together, called to seek mercy together, literally, depending on the leftover crops for food. But as we will see that these leftovers are no ordinary leftovers. There is more here than meets the eye and much more here to fill the soul for these leftovers are God's leftovers. You know, the best grace I've said is oftentimes before microwave heated Tupperware bowls steaming with the week's leftovers. Maybe it's one pizza, pizza slice combined with a side of collard greens or a small cornet of casserole teamed up with some leftover chicken lo mein. And, and sometimes you just have to make your own sort of casserole, if you will, out of the strangely delicious and satisfying combinations. This glorious grace of leftover is this, that you either have no money to go out and get food, or you're too tired to cook, or you don't know how to cook, or like I remember just having arrived home on break from college. Man, when I went home from college, when I grew up, I hated leftovers. But when I would get home from college, it was like when I opened that refrigerator, when I would see the foil and the Tupperwares, man, it was like a treasure. Or maybe it's too late to fire up the stove. Or the refrigerator and pantry are are near empty. In the tired desperation, there is a more than satisfying thanks and joy and drive to eat what you did not have to prepare, to heat up what you were too drained to have cooked anew. Leftovers are like mercy. They're an unmerited intercession of care and concern to not get what you have earned or deserve, but to get more than what you could have earned or deserve. I believe we miss the grace of God's leftovers, of God's mercy. You know, that which falls from his proverbial heavenly table, that which he has given through his God-designed channels and chains to those of us who can't, to those of us who won't, to those of us who just don't. In this account of Ruth, we see how God drives people to his table of mercy to receive drops of his mercy in a desire to draw us closer to him so that we can receive the very grace of his leftovers. Considering that the story of Ruth ends with her marriage to Boaz, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you the ending. It may be said by many that this is just good luck. Good luck that Ruth ended up working in the very field that belonged to Boaz, the one man who could be the kinsman redeemer, the one who could save Naomi's husband's land and fortune from being auctioned. 
But the text shows us otherwise. You see, it was God who was driving Ruth by his command, using circumstance to bring her to a place where she could receive mercy and grace from God. Look with me at chapter 2 again, beginning at verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out... She found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Now, this term there in chapter, in verse 3, as it turned out, does not, does not belong to the realm of luck. As a matter of fact, if you look at the language used here, it's only used in the connect, in connection with God's immediate direction for it to be so. So as it turned out, therefore means that we see it from a human standpoint or view, but what we see as it turned out is God obviously at work. Now consider this. The fields, when they said she goes out to the fields, In Israel and Judah, the the field is believed to have been just one field. One big area of work like some kind of agrarian Wall Street. And each field was simply separated by stones. So you would go out and you say, here's the field. It was just, just open land and every person who owned had a part of this big field. And it would be simply separated by a maybe some stones or, or maybe some sort of ditch. The chances she would end up in the one slither that was Boaz's field that day he happened to visit was uncanny. It was more than lucky. It was God's unseen command. It's what we call God's providence. But let's definitely not call it good luck because God uses the circumstances of poverty to drive Ruth to be blessed and cared for by him. Understand that Naomi is either one, now the text doesn't support this, but I'm just going to throw this out, that Naomi is either too embarrassed or too old to glean with the poor. And so Ruth must go out and gather scraps of leftover harvested crops with a lot of people who were deemed the rejects. How can we describe this? Ruth was subjected to going to the dumpsters behind McDonald's for the 10-minute old Big Macs, along with the poor, the immoral, the lame, even some of the scoundrels. She was a beggar. Now we explored this a little last week in chapter 1. This was Ruth's and Naomi's circumstance. Poverty. 
I say this because regardless of the state or the issues, whether it's a good day or a bad day, whether it's a sunny day or a hurricane, a birthday or a funeral, what is true here is true throughout Scripture and the lives of people, that God drives people to His mercy, to His grace, that, that hard and soft circumstances are used by God to bring us into the proverbial field to be in the place that He has chosen and designed for us to get from Him and get right with Him. Like many of you, I can look back and I can even think about some things that are going on right now. I can relive that feeling of loss, of despair, of loneliness in this circumstance, wondering, you know, what must my life really mean? And especially what must it mean to this higher power called God going through, since I was going through what felt like anything but the hand of a God that these Christians say is a good God, leading me somewhere good and great. But in hindsight, which is 2020, oftentimes, I can't help but know that I would not be here, even before you, up here, or in a relationship with God, period, if I wasn't a beggar someplace in some time in my life. I mean, it seems very simple and even very silly, but I was a beggar of a student in eighth grade because I couldn't pass the algebra class that I was in because they all thought I was gifted and I wasn't. And I remember, Lord, my mom was a believer. I'm, Mama, I need help. I, I can't pass this class. Or this God you're saying, you know, he's supposed to be powerful and show mercy. And I went and prayed. And, you know, it, it was the mercy, my, my, my felt need, my issue that drew me to a relationship with the Lord. You would not be here. I want to explain. Here is not necessarily being at Christ Central Church. Here is being in a place to receive and hear God's mercy. You would not be here in God's field where he can bless you. You would not be here if that guy did not dump you and break your heart. If that engagement had worked out. You would not be here if you had not found yourself in a job that was too hard or to deal with or if you weren't laid off. You would not be here if you did not or were not failing, failing to be the star or be what you thought you would be. Or on the other hand, on the good side, some of you would not be here if you didn't get in the college of your choice or the college God chose to allow you to get in. But you did. Or get the coveted job that, that 25 more qualified people should have gotten, but you got hired. You wouldn't be here if you weren't born into that godly family or, or had that roommate who was going through that Jesus thing meeting. You wouldn't be here in a field of God's mercy. Positive or negative circumstance. God uses what we may call good or bad luck 
chance or sometimes what we have owned as our good choices or because we made the good grades or because we brag about how hard things are, we can, things we complain about or try to cover up like Ruth's situation, as it turns out, regardless of what you think or what you feel, becomes a divine statement of care to drive his people to his mercy. And from the life of Ruth here in chapter 2, we see that he drives his people to his table. He is also faithful to drop mercy to those in need. Let me explain to you once again how this uh, reaping and gleaning thing works in the field. The harvesters or reapers were hired hands of the owner of the field, in this case the owner of the field is Boaz, and they would take their sickles and they would cut and then they would gather together the the cut uh, leaves in bundles, either it's corn or weed, and bundle them together in a sheave and and put them in a sack on their their backs, or as in this case it seems that the the harvesters would cut the grain and they would bind it together with a piece of cord or or hold it together real tight and put it on the ground, and then the, the, the ladies, the handmaidens would come and pick up the grain and put them in the basket. Now, this is the way this worked. These reapers or harvesters were paid by the percentage of gathered crops or with the wage of the day's form of currency. Either way, they were by God's law in the day told do not go back after you've passed through the field. Don't go back and pick up the loose grain or pieces that fell out accidentally on the ground, but to allow that to be God's alms or gift of mercy to the poor. God's saying, don't go back and pick it up. The, the poor are going to come and glean. Now, there are two things here we can observe and, yes, glean ourselves from this passage. That God gives mercy to be given to his community. And God gives mercy to be gathered by his community. And what we see here, even in God's design in in Judah, is the law. God designed and encourages his community to what? To trust in him for all they have to care for the poor by leaving what he had caused and called them to leave for those who need some drops of mercy, especially to those to be who, who are called to be a part of the assembly of God's faithful people like Ruth eventually was. Let's look at verse 15, what he says here to the harvesters after he knows Ruth. He says, as she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stalks from her, from the bundles, and leave them for her to pick up, and don't rebuke her. Especially those in assembly. What is God saying? Treat those in need of mercy with dignity, not with disdain. To even leave more sometimes. To to leave what could rightly be kept for yourself as something you've earned for those who are part of their immediate and inner community who are in need of mercy. Now let me make something clear from the text. I mean, look at Boaz's words in verse 4. This is no accident that he said. He goes, just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. And back they called the Lord bless you. The harvest is God's blessing. 
The harvest itself is a drop from God's heavenly table, even for the landowners and for the workers, and then those who are in need of mercy. All we have to keep and give is God's gift of mercy, whether we are at the top or the bottom of the chain. And so it is the call of God to his community to be used to give mercy and grace to the community, and in particular, to the community of faith. So let me go direct here with how and who we should see ourselves as we approach this text. No one here should deem themselves in the position of Boaz. You're either a hired hand or a poor gleaner. Boaz's oversight and words of encouragement and direction are synonymous with the Lord's. Now what does this tell us? That the Lord has given it to people, given his harvest to people, to see that what they have is for and at his disposal for those in need of mercy. Let me widen the scope here. I am not just talking about money and stuff but expertise and wisdom and experience and gifts and talents and callings, all the things that go into making a person so-called blessed. And I want to make this clear because we have all gathered and gained somewhere. In some way we are poor as dirt or rich as Trump. What, What you have and are is given to be in part a mercy offering to those in the broad communities of this world and the intimate community of faith. I've said this before in a sermon. We's rich. Look around this room. We's rich. But we's rich with people who have more time than others to give or, or who can sing or who can cook or who sees things we can't see or makes what we can, or what we all can't make and we are all to be used in what we do to bless God's people and this world. And unfortunately, we are all guilty in some way of going back and gathering what should be offerings of mercy. We backguard our schedules. We get the LX instead of just the X. We, we see what we have as, as not much to offer. And so what do we do? We just, we don't think it's important or impressive. So we just take it up and think, no one needs me. I don't have much. It's too little or too light to be worth much. And God is saying, leave some. Give some. As a matter of fact, give some more. There are people who need mercy. The mercy I have given you that you would drop it on the ground and leave it and offer it. To each other. But the community of faith, believers in the church, are specifically called to give and love more and above until it hurts a little. Don't you understand these harvesters? The reason he had to tell them not to be mean to her is because, you know, I was reading about that sometimes they'd be gathering the grain and the poor people be coming up. Hey man, please leave a little bit on the ground for me. Come on, man. You know, sometimes I get irritated. I know that feeling. Amen. Knocking on the door. Amen. Can you give a brother a dollar? Yeah, I want a dollar yesterday. 
I, I need, I need. I, uh, I don't work for me. I, I'm having a hard time paying my bills too. And you want a dollar? No. Amen. Look like you got it going on. I don't have it going on. I'm just, I'm struggling just like you. I don't have no dollar, but I do. And this is what the harvest is going. They're reaping. They're working hard. They're sweating, y'all. They're sweating. They got the job. They, they applied. They worked hard. They talked to their cousin to make sure he could get an interview with the boss. I mean, they worked hard to get this job. And they're cutting and reaping. And here comes the poor. Hey, Amen. Drop one of them corns on the ground for me, please. And I'm sure the harvest is thinking, man, get a job. Talk to the boss. Clean yourself up. Get an interview. They may not be in the cornfield, but they got some in the wheat field over there, brother. Work it out. But Boaz is, which is, which is synonymous to the Lord, instructed to give mercy as a subset of offering dignity to those who are in need around us. He said, be kind to her. Do not patronize. Do not scrutinize. Do not judge according to your uh, weak list of personal morals to give as a beggar to a beggar, as a poor man to a poor man, as a needy man who understands what it is to be needy. You know, we can make people feel bad about needing. But that should be all curved by the lessons in this text. For one of you, for one, you and I are gathering and earning only what is the Lord's in the first place. It's Boaz's field, not yours. When you get that check, that ain't yours. I mean, yeah, you get the check, you work hard, but you're not the owner of the field. Which mountain you own? Which earth do you command? What ocean do you tell to come in and go out? What sun do you tell to rise today and clouds drop rain so that there's grain on the ground? Which earth do you open up so that there's enough oil so the gas prices don't go high? Which one are you? It's not yours. You're just reaping, brother. You just got the interview. And secondly, we're simply gatherers and gleaners that God has to drop mercy to so that we can gather it. Look how Ruth's behavior is described by the foreman in verse 6. I want you to see this. The foreman replied when Boaz asked, who's this young woman? She's a Moabitess, Moabitess who, who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and harvest, gather among the sheaves behind the harvest. And she went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. Ruth is openly needy and desperate. You know how this looks? And this is a godly picture. Y'all, I mean... When I lived in Baltimore, you know, a crackhead, I mean, crack addicts rather with, I don't want to call them crackheads, that ain't dignified. The crack addicted would come to my house, come on, man, I'll cut your grass. Please. I'm like, it's 95 degrees today. I don't care, man. I'll cut your grass. I got some scissors. I don't have a lawnmower. I'll cut your grass with a butter knife. Now, 
Now, I know what we're thinking in our morals. Well, he just want to use it to get some crack. But I want you to know what desperation for mercy looks like. I cut your grass with a butter knife. I seen brothers, they don't have no lawnmower. Sometimes they come with the old sickle. Where you get that sickle from? 1750? Brothers picking up stuff and taping it together and cutting lawns. Desperate. 95 degrees, 100, it don't matter. I need the money, I need some help. And Boaz is, I mean, Ruth is openly needy and desperate. She is active and hungry. What I would describe as actively gracious. She accepts and sees and acts on the mercy of God provided for her. She does the hardest thing for those of us to do. Hard for us, for those of us to do. To receive mercy. To ask for mercy. To ask and accept help. To go to people and say, help, I'll cut your grass with a butter knife. So needy. Most of of us here don't see ourselves or accept ourselves as being gleaners like Ruth. As those whose hearts and lives yearn for God's leftovers, who wait under the table, falling behind God's people, God's church, for just a morsel of mercy and morsel of grace for our issues and our hunger and our poverty. And I said this last week, and I will hammer it in again this week. It doesn't make sense to me. And I'm talking about me too sometimes. I don't make sense to me. That we can be so attracted to a church or to a place because of his commitment to mercy or the gospel message, because some of you aren't committed to mercy as much. You know, you don't really want to help the poor necessarily, but you like hearing the gospel. Ooh, the gospel. God loves sinners like me. I don't understand how you can be attracted to the gospel message and any mercy ministry when you live as if you don't need any. Some of us come across as only able to give. And harvest, but never to glean, never to beg, never to be unable to get unless someone uses, unless God uses someone else to be merciful and loving enough to leave some or give some help to you. Let me clear it up again. I'm not talking about money only. Some of your marriages just ain't hitting it, just ain't right, just ain't it really ain't right. It's terrible. Some of you are terrible or falling apart and loving your children and wives and husbands. And I don't care how much money you have, you need help. Some of you are overly confident and assured and secure and you're all right. You need help. You are a silent beggar. Some of you need help loosening your finances. You're too miserly and stingy and greedy. And some of us need stuff. We need money and we are too proud to ask for help. We are all afraid that in asking we will be treated as poor. Or less valuable than we believe asking for mercy makes us look like. My daddy used to tell me the story how he used to work at the hotel. Bus boy. He would see them leftover bones, maybe an end of a T-bone steak or something like that. He'd bring it home. And my dad said, I, I got that food for my dogs, you know. I would go home and I, he said, I had a bunch of dogs. He didn't know their name. He's just a country boy. His name was Dog. And so he said, come on, dog, dogs, whatever. And so dog would come and he would, he was going to put that meat in the bowl and grandmama said, no, boy. 
Don't you put that good meat in that bowl for that dog. We went at thinking that someone like my grandmama, great-grandmama, praised God for food deemed for dogs as mercy from God. We went in thinking that someone would know the areas we lack in and would need their proverbial leftovers. And yet, when you look in this book, I don't know what book you're looking at. This is not the, this is not the competency manual for being a Christian. When you look in this book, the means by which God blesses his people is mercy. You sit here because of mercy. You call yourself a Christian because you're, you're, you're a poor, needy sinner and God was gracious enough to throw you a bone. That was a good bone because it led to your redemption. I, I get tired. I got to... Okay, I'm just... When you're in a multicultural setting, multi-ethnic, whatever, and you're the minority, or you're in a culture where you look around in many places, it gets hard when it looks like, as a black man, the white people always got the first stuff. And so many of us are left getting the leftovers. That's hard, basically. And yet, you in a church, you know how hard it is to once again seem to be saying, you just getting the same white people leftovers that you've been getting for 400 years. That's hard. I am. Um, and on the other hand, I love to go to the thrift store. I know y'all can tell my clothes are a little young looking, but that's all right. <laughs> I like to go thrift store shopping. And I we hung around with some friends in, in St. Louis, uh, probably more well-to-do group of people, in our um, small group in a church in St. Louis. And they were like, yeah, we got all our kids' clothes from consignment. No big deal. Why they're going to work out grown? Let's just, let's cut costs. It's such a great virtue to go to the consignment store, the thrift store, and it's so cool and everybody's doing it and you're saving money and you're saving for college and all the great things. And yet when you talk to, to folk who don't have as much, they don't want to go to the thrift store. And I know some of us look at poor, oh, look at that poor person. Why the kids got the Tommy Hilfiger jeans? Why they got the Nikes? They poor, they should be in the thrift store like me. Don't you understand what it feels like to go into a thrift store and all it feels like, I've heard people say it to me, I ain't going thrift store shopping because I don't want them people left over clothes. I got more dignity than that. And I could not imagine the trauma if the tables were turned and some of you had to get a subdominant culture person's leftovers. 
know, sometimes I ask people when they want to work in a multi-ethnic setting. I'm like, ah, I feel like I'm called to be a pastor, in particular, uh, um, a person from an Anglo person or person from a dominant culture. And they, yeah, I really, God called me. I need to work with some black people, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I, I'm called to work with the poor and, and black. And I'm like, I often ask this question. Give me the name of one black man that taught you something. Who had to give you mercy. Who had to give you grace. Name me one African American man whose leftovers you had to eat. It's usually pretty quiet. How do we fix this problem? It's hard, but it's not any man's leftovers. It's God's leftovers. In the community of faith, God has called people, called by his grace, by the mercy and love and dignity of his community, regardless of color of skin, used to give it, or the bank account, or the degree of the gift, or what the offering of mercy exposes about the depth of your inadequacies. It's never and has never been man's leftovers for God's people. In a community of faith, these are God's leftovers. This is God's offering of grace. This is his way to, for you and me to see that he alone is worthy. He alone makes the harvest high. He alone is bountiful. He alone is given the homes. He alone is given the wisdom. He alone should be praised for first hand, second hand, third hand, for he alone ultimately cares for and provides mercy for his people. I don't care the color of the hand that's given it to you. It's Boaz's field, not yours. So anything left on the ground, it's God's gift to you. It's strangely enough, but true, but God's mercy is a rescue of you from a loss of dignity, which is highlighted by your lack or your need. That there is even, if you're trying to hide it, God wants to lift your head and condition by your gathering of mercy that is his for you and for your issues. And in the economy of God's community of mercy, we are both givers and gatherers with equal dignity and glory as those who have received, regardless of the place we are in a chain, the very mercy of God for our lives. And we are called to work hard, yes, to clamor, to come to God's people, like, like, like the guy at the front door, hey, brother in the Lord, I need some help. No, I haven't done everything right. I need mercy. He's called us to knock on the table like the desperate person for mercy as if it were heavenly blessed fallen from God's heaven to earth. Whether you're getting scripture or the Lord's Supper or you're hearing preaching or you're praying or you're singing or you're in relationships of accountability. These are God's blessings of mercy. But before we get caught up in the right function of community concerning God's mercy, because I know, I know how you think because I think the same way. He said all this stuff about mercy. I'm going to change today. One, two, three, four. I'm going to get it in order. You know that ain't the gospel result but not the gospel 
It's so easy to just be about a people of behavior changes for the purpose of being right and better. Here's the problem. Most of you hear this mercy message and you just want to be right now. You just want to be better. It's the same disease. I just got to have it all straight and have it all right. I got to have it together. I got to do it. But this text goes further to communicate something deeper about God's leftovers. You see, he uses them whether you're giving and receiving, and when you give and receive, to draw you closer to him. God wants you to know that he knows and sees and understands you. I mean, look what happens here. Boaz comes to the field, a sign of a good boss who cares about his people as much as the result, and he wants to see his people. And for Ruth, he wants to make it personal. He gets her story and lets her know he knows her story and her issues. You see, Christianity has never been a machine of right and wrong, of working and not working. The Bible is not a direction book only for right community. This is a means for God to get personal with you, to get with his people, for people to be seen and known and be seen and known by the God of heaven. He wants you to know this. You are a concern. You are an interest of his. God is not like what many of you have experienced in church community. He's not just doing right. You're not just a project or object in which he's just using to be right. No, God knows your story and he sees and he knows you above and beyond the circumstance. And our need for mercy draws us close to a God who wants us to see him and see him seeing us and knowing us. Look what Boaz says to Ruth in verse 12. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. In other words, as you've come to take refuge under the wings of God, you aren't dust in the wind, but you're under God's merciful care. You are like a lost or injured baby bird that can't fly as strong as the others under God's strong wings. What is he saying? God has taken a personal interest in you and your life in the sometimes faceless and impersonal circumstances. And beyond that, Ruth says, I call myself a foreigner. She says, I should be someone who should be a speck, an objective nuisance, but one that has been noticed and cared for personally by the boss. God desires and has with many of you a personal relationship with those alienated by him by sin and circumstance and now he draws you by his mercy and his grace. God uses the bounty and power combined with our hunger for mercy to bring us to be with him. Understands what happens here in verse 14. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here. Now she's sitting in a shelter with the rest of the workers and he says, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. She gets to eat with him out of his cup. Boaz wants her to be with him under his care alone. With our Lord 
It's not just about stuff and your need for it. This stuff is a means, a way to, sh- way to his, of his to show that, show you his hesed, his, his mercy. The church's community, the gleaning and reaping are all a means to an end. They are means to, to a knowledge and relationship with God and Jesus Christ. They are a means. They lead us and others to say what? Thank you and praise you, Lord. I know that the God of the Bible is a merciful and loving God. And for God to look at you and say, I am happy to have you and want you with me and my people and my promises. And I want you with me and nowhere else. And we can trust his mercy. Because Jesus has become our Boaz. Jesus has come to earth. He's come to the field of our lives. God in the flesh to let humanity know that God wants to get personal. Setting and establishing and empowering his church, his people to be merciful to the world as those who have received mercy. He is calling people to his grace. Like Boaz did to Ruth. To dip mercy in the wine of his blood. To belong to him because of his sacrificial mercy showing to you. To be personally fed by Jesus. To be personally sustained by Jesus. To be watched over by Jesus. To be filled by him. To end the presence and powerful of merciful community. To be loved by him. What is the grace of God's leftovers? It's an everlasting relationship with Jesus Christ. It's an everlasting relationship to be his. And as you hear this message, some of us are feeling, I need to go ahead and ask for some mercy. And some of you are thinking, what am I going to do? I don't feel like I need help. Even to those of you who don't feel you need help. God, Jesus is our Boaz. He's in the field. He's seeing you saying, I don't need help. And mercy is this. He's going to drop in the field what it takes for you to be drawn to receive his grace and mercy even if you can't see it. The end of the story says Ruth goes back home and she has so much to give Naomi and she's filled up to the you know she's filled already. Some of you will know the mercy and grace of God not because you get it but because someone in this community of faith has sought mercy and desperation and will share it with you. And it all leads, as we'll see more next week, to a relationship, a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's the point. Let us pray. Heavenly Father,
as gleaners and gatherers. We need Jesus to see our hearts. We need Jesus to see our story. We need Jesus to call us to him and tell us everything about ourselves so that we can seek him for help. Help to have our hearts broken today. Help to have our lives healed today. Help us, Lord. We're in dire need of your mercy. And your God's and your leftovers, Lord. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.